Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Scottish Property Podcast. My name is Stephen Clark and I'm joined as always by Nick with Nick Ponte. How are you doing, Nick? That was a really good start, mate. You almost forgot your name there. So you're going to pronounce the, this week's guest's name. It's going to be your next challenge. Well, this is this is what was in my head there when I was thinking about that. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Bronwyn Verncom. Nailed it. Um, and, she, and she's someone I've, I've followed for, a, for a, probably a couple of years since I kind of uh, saw her on Mark Stokes' book. Um, talking about SAS pensions and how she was used as a case study and then how she used pension funds to to um, to basically invest and grow her property business very quickly. And, and it, gave, it gave her and her husband the, the freedom for him to kind of complete a big reason why, which was to sail around the world and she kind of followed them to every port and they started then growing her businesses on the side as well. So they've, they've kind of not ventured back to the UK now. They're They've kind of created this this dream life where they're traveling the world in different places. And she's right now, she was recording in Zanzibar and kind of just sharing the journey and what property investment could kind of do for you if you if you systemize it and have the right people, wasn't you? Yeah, so it's all about this, this kind of like transition from the corporate world. So she used to work for Lloyds Bank and then like, you know, they, they left that. Like you say, travel was the big thing. And obviously property brought that financial freedom to be able to do that. And we go into like all the systems, how they raise the investor, um, you know, funding for the projects and what sort of portfolio they've got just now. And like you say, Stephen, how she can run that from a laptop pretty much from anywhere in the world, as long as you've got an internet connection. So I absolutely love that. I got a little bit of taste of it when I was in Florida there for three weeks and how that can kind of work if you've got the right systems in place. So we'll just uh, cut straight to the interview with Bronwyn. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Bronwyn Verncom, to the Scottish Property Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. And, lovely to be here. And thank you very much for joining us from the beautiful Zanzibar. The sitting on, on behind you looks a lot, a lot different from what we're sitting in Scotland anyway. Yeah, I'm in Tanzania, beautiful island of Zanzibar. Um, part of the freedom that property gives me. Um, we're not just here on holiday, though. We're actually living out here for a while. We're doing a, a property project. So there we go. We've, we've gone international very recently. Superb, superb. Let's touch on that as well. But before we kind of get into those details, can you kind of take us back to the start and, and talk about what you were, what yeah. you were up to in your, in, your, in your life before property became a thing? Yes, my goodness. So um, I was a banker in the city of London for a long time. Uh, I worked for one organisation for 21 years. And I got to the point where it was like, really you know, do I really have to carry on doing this commuting? Do I really need to have all this hassle in my life? When I had lots of dreams, lots of things I wanted to do, um, particularly adventure stuff. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a turning point really when I was told I couldn't take my pension until I was 67. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I'm not working until I'm 60, let alone 67. So how do I create the sort of income I can um, so that I can do other things and that's where it started really it was a catalyst it was okay we've got a little bit of savings we had lots of Lloyds Bank shares worth not very much so sell all of those, sell I, was, all of those and- I actually don't I actually don't invest right in the stock market at all but the one yeah. share purchase that I did do was like back in 2008 I think with the banking crash and that and like yeah. for some reason, I thought this is a good time to buy banking shares because like, everything's <laughs> surely at its lowest point. And like I bought yeah. Lloyd's banking group at like two pound a share, and then it dropped to like it dropped to like <laughs> but it, it went from like that was for like seven or eight pounds. And yeah. I thought surely oh, this is yeah. good. And then it went to like 30p. 
Yeah, yeah, thirty p. I think was the lowest actually. Yeah, um, yeah I think mine were fifty when I saw them. Yeah. You know, I bought some stuff. at ten. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem with the stock market. You see, again, property. Yeah. You've got Too control volatile. over your property. You haven't. You haven't got control over the stock market. Um, so yeah. So yeah, I mean, so tell was, us about then. How did you kind of make that jump then from the corporate world? Because that's quite scary for a lot of people, isn't it? So what went through your scary. head at that time? It's very scary. So so the first thing um, we did was to think, okay, we we've got enough for a deposit on a on a flat. We bought a council ex council flat in Winchester with a little bit of money that we had, and uh, we knew nothing at that point. So you know, then we thought, oh, we'll start learning. So we're still working start learning, learning with an expert, get some knowledge, understand the risks. And suddenly the whole world opened up uh, to, oh my goodness, I could do this. I could actually create an income. That means I could leave my job. So after a couple of years, I left my job. My, uh, my husband left his after 12 months of starting out. Um, I carried on because getting mortgages is just a little bit easier when you're working. Mm -hmm. So I went down part-time for a year, three, three days a week. Um, and then letting letting go of that was really hard. I, I can honestly say it was one of the hardest things, harder than doing a bridging loan. <laughs> just because of the the comfort of the, the income or, or just what you've known? It's psychological, really. It's, um, oh, my goodness, I get this money coming in every month. I know I'm going to get it. Um, and I've always worked. You know, I've always had that, that salary. So letting go was like, is this really going to work? You know, we... We were getting income from our properties. We weren't earning as much as we were from our corporate jobs, but we didn't need to. And I think it was the confidence of we don't need to get that every month. And do you remember so, giving yeah. up any luxuries or anything like that at the time when you sort of did your numbers and you <laughs> yeah. thought, right, well, we're going to yes. like get a better quality lifestyle here, but we're obviously not going to make as much money. So can you remember any specific things that you kind of... Oh, my goodness. Well, it was quite it was quite good exercise, actually, to, to write down some of the things that you spend your money on when you're in that corporate world, because because it all adds up. And, yeah. and it's the lunches, it's the it's the business suits, it's um, the commuting. My goodness, you know, the thousands and thousands of pounds I spent on train fares um, and, you know, little things, you know, makeup and all that stuff that us women have to do shoes, you know, <laughs> it's really a lot of money. So I thought, well, no, I mean, there were things like improving our house you know kitchens bathrooms we didn't do any of that while we were learning property because it was like why invest in our house and we can we can buy another one so we actually lived with pretty pretty shitty house for a while um we um yeah did you think your, your tenants had um, better properties than you at some point <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> they did yeah i was buying these magnet kitchens from lmpg you know yeah. saving huge amount and going yeah look at my kitchen it was falling apart um yeah, the good thing was though when when we first decided to go on an adventure and John sailed around the world, we did our house up then because we were going to let it. <laughs> so we actually <laughs> earned money from our home. So that was the only time we actually invested in our own property. You, you um, guys went yeah. um, full time, or or certainly John did very very quickly. I, I think yeah, you focused heavily on cash flow and bigger cash flow and strategies at the time, right from yeah. north rather than building up the a standard buy let portfolio. Yeah, we started. Uh, we well, we started with that with that first flat. We still got it, so that worked. That worked really well. Um, but then we went into sort of multi lets, the so houses of multiple occupation, because they gave us a really high return on investment. Mm -hmm. So down here in in the south, in Hampshire, where I uh, where my home is, <laughs> home home, um, 
yeah, it was quite, it was quite expensive to buy. So for us, it was trying to find the strategy that was going to give us a good return on our money. And I, I didn't want to buy anywhere else because I really love the negotiating. I like to talk to agents. I like to find motivated sellers and, and negotiate. And that's, that's uh, what I needed to do locally. So, yeah, Southampton, Portsmouth, Winchester and Andover is uh, where we ended up. And you mentioned that you... The, the, the money, the small amount of money you had saved, you put into the first flat. So how, how did you go about purchasing these HMOs to grow the yeah. portfolio significantly at, at the start? Yeah, so what we did was um, leverage uh, our mortgage. So we took further advance on our property. Now, luckily, we'd been there about 10 years. So we'd, we'd actually gained quite a lot of equity. So we, we took money out of, that, out of our home. Again, that's, you know, quite a, a scary thing because everybody tells you pay off your mortgage. You know, that was the old fashioned way of thinking. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we got we got the cheapest, you know, really good rate on our mortgage. And to do a further advance is one of the cheapest ways to borrow. So we borrowed that money. We put that into deposits on the first few properties. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we weren't done a lot of work with other people's money with investors and um, pensions, other people's pensions and things. Yeah, so we've been quite innovative with our funding. Let me just go years. back to that, um, you know, remortgaging your house, because that, mm. is, that is one that, that kind of splits the, the, the boat. A lot of people are, oh, yeah. no, don't do that. It's too risky. Don't, you know, yeah. other people, that's a great way. Now, personally, I think it's a great way, um, yep. you know, especially where we are at the moment in the market, you know, in the UK, mm. Scotland, wherever you are, there's a yeah. good chance you'll have a good bit of equity in your house, depending on when you bought it, because the market, you know, pr prices have been going up in the last year or so, 10%. Mm. So for those yeah. for those people who are listening to this thing, where am I going to get the deposit for my first buy to let or my first property? Then mm. that is a perfect source of it, I think. Obviously, yeah. um, you know, you've got to take advice on it and just be yeah. careful. You do, you do, you know, because you've got to be able to afford the repayments. So, you know, <laughs> that, that was my, that was my really next important. question was um, you, you, you've kind of pulled money out of your house, which is going to increase your mortgage payments. Yes. And then, you know, a year or two later, you're both kind of quitting your, your corporate yeah. career. So that must have kind of went completely against conventional wisdom mm -hmm. of that's going to increase our mortgage, increase our monthly expenditure and then we'll quit our jobs as well. <laughs> yes, you know, and as a banker, you know, I, I'm quite comfortable with borrowing money and mm. um, and I'm quite comfortable with mortgages and, and what they mean. You know, for us, it was, okay, it's a risk. But at the end of the day, if we can afford it with our day jobs and we were earning good money, then it's going to work, you know, whether the property works or not, we'll, we'll manage that. And actually that money, you know, if we could get it back through buying good properties if we needed to again sell those properties then it could work so I think there was always that what if in our heads you know what if your property prices do go up in the long term and we it is our home we are living there we had a very big garden so we, we knew there'd be some planning opportunity in the garden as well so I think you know it's a personal thing you've got to discuss it with your with your family um, you need to just be sec secure in your thinking um i mean i talk to a lot of people whose parents go no don't do it you know uh and i have to try and show them how the economics works and you know what the risk is but it, some people don't want to do it so was your was your husband fully on board with you and were you the more driving force in this 
Is that where or was or was he the driving force or was it kind of both of you kind of just wanted to do well, it? Yeah, we were both really quite enthusiastic once we'd once we'd seen what was possible and we talked to other people who were doing it. We, you know, in, initially we thought, oh, it won't work in the south. You know, perhaps prices are really expensive. So, you know, when people are talking about Birmingham and um, and further north and even Scotland, you know, oh, its prices are a lot cheaper and things. But you know, once we started to learn and we understood how do how do the numbers work. And we looked at different strategies. We thought, well, yeah, let's give it a go. And after the first one or two, it was, okay, this works. Um, You've got to have the golden rules. You've got to stick to those rules and be really quite rigorous when you're looking to buy. You're not buying for yourself. You're buying for a different purpose. So, you know, some people get distracted. But for us, it was very clear. Both of us were really determined. We set ourselves a goal in that first 12 months. And um, after that, when John left his job, it was okay. When are we going to do our adventures? And John signed up to do the Clipper Around the World Yacht Race. (laughs) So it gave us a a deadline, a 2017 deadline, um, which was two years after we started. Wow. Um, And that was going to give him the kind of time freedom to allow him to do that and and the financial freedom to... That allow them to not, not to work yeah. basically yeah. to sail around the world yeah and I think that's what motivated us was not the property stuff and getting another one another deal it was more around when can we do this these things and it's it's a it's a funny old world because one of our agents managing our property in Portsmouth we had a meeting with him and he said, oh, he was off to Airlie Beach in Queensland, in Australia. And we went, oh, why are you going there? And he said, oh, my girlfriend's doing a leg of the clipper around the world. And I'm going to meet her. And that was this spark. John's eyes just lit up and he went, oh, I need to talk to her. I'd love to do it. And it wasn't just one leg, you know. We said, well, look, if you can do all of it, why not? Um, so it's, that became our goal for a year later was to raise £50,000 to actually do it because that was the cost. <laughs> uh, and it was, OK, we can do this. You know? um, do, do you think so, that's important yeah. about it as a, as a strong reason why? Because I think when people start out, it's, all about, it's always about the amount of units or the amount of cash flow. And I always kind of feel to myself, probably very much the same as you guys, that unless it's something for yourself or something, a goal or an aspiration or a lifestyle mm-hmm. or something you want, I feel like the units or the cash flow just is, is irrelevant. That doesn't after a yeah. certain after a few doesn't really make a difference. You're just kind of no. Has to be something a bit no, short. that's right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's that uh, reason why, as I call it. Um, you know, did you start? Talking, did you start yeah. with that end goal? And sorry, sorry to interrupt. I'm really mm-hmm. interested in this. Did you start Bronwyn mm-hmm. with that end goal mind, or did you just get started and then you kind of thought up yeah. what the kind of vision and the end goal was later no, down the line? Started with that end goal. Um, you know, on the back of my phone, if you look at my phone now, you see these pictures here. This is a place in Namibia. It's called Nankuse. And for me personally, it was I want to go uh, do wildlife conservation in Africa. So that was my that was my picture I put on my phone in 2014. And it's still there now. Um, but for John, it was I want to do more sailing. So for us, it was, what are we going to do with our time? Of course, we're going to spend more time with the family. Of course, we're going to see more of our parents. You know, all that stuff that everyone talks about. Oh, you know, I'll do the good thing. That doesn't actually motivate you hugely. What does it mean? So for me, it was, I'm going to go to Namibia. I'm going to work there. I'm going to volunteer. Yeah, probably. Um, 
it's in my book actually so <laughs> what they said um so yeah it was interesting I think it it was a driver for us um as I said I put it on my phone so that every time I looked at my phone it was right yeah I'm going there um and I it's hard you know uh, property isn't easy it is hard I'm just trying so, to get an idea in my head what the time scale was then so you said 2014 yeah. so when did you properly start investing um yeah so we did a course in 2014 that year John, uh, we we bought I think three HMOs, something like that. Um, yeah. And John left his job. The second year, we carried on and and did a few conversions. So we did some slightly more complex things and some more HMOs. And then the following year was when John got ready to go around the world. So he That's went. Cool. He left in 2017. Um, and and so how do things look in your portfolio now? Then today, like you know, how, like what does it consist of then? Yeah, so we've only we haven't got that many properties. We've got different businesses. So we've got the residential properties. We have some holiday lets. So the HMOs, we've got seven. We've got uh, three holiday lets, a couple of single lets. But we've got a, a guest house business. So that's actually very different. That was in year three after we started. So the year before we went around the world, we established a serviced accommodation business which was for councils, so council emergency housing. And we fell into that a bit, you know, we were looking at bigger deals and I had a mentor at the time and, and he was saying, right, what are you going to set yourself this year? And it was, okay, I'm going to do a million pound property purchase. I had no money because <laughs> you run out all the time. And I thought, okay, look bigger, look at bigger deals because actually it's easier to negotiate. There's less competition and let's go commercial. So we just looked at lots of things in Southampton. We were gonna to convert to flats because we've done a couple of those already. And then when we came across this 26 bed property was being used by a charity, we thought, well, while we get planning, what can we use it for to get, um, to get an income? Because we, we took a, a partly a bridging loan on that one. So we, we let the rooms out. And then it was like, okay, I haven't done this before. Let's find someone who knows what they're doing. I brought somebody on board that said he could fill the rooms for me um, because he's got such demands. And it's a long story, very short now. But yeah, we filled it with council, emergency housing tenants. And now we have five properties that we, we let to councils, not directly, but they, they book the rooms. So it's short-term letting. So that is a trading like business. Homeless people then they are living there, like like they come no. from a homeless background, or so no, they get it, usually it's some people who, if you take Grenfell for example, you know it's a council block. So if if a council house or a block of flats needs renovating or there's a fire flood uh, issues like Grenfell, you know they have to find somewhere for these people to live before they can find them their their home again. Okay. So they will come to us. Fire floods, domestic violence. Uh, other issues and um, you know we'll we'll provide a sort of shared home for them for a period of time with cooking facilities and try and make it as comfortable as possible for them before the council then house them more permanently so so that's so it's not street homeless but now you mention it we then went on after a couple of years we then were approached by one of the councils to provide homeless accommodation as a test really uh, because they were they were offered a grant by the by their government so during the winter so we actually put aside one of our properties for street homeless and then that's been going really well and of course during covid 
we had to provide a lot more space because they were actually taking everybody off the street. Mm. So that's been quite a quite a challenging strategy, but has worked really well for for us and for our our clients really it's a good way of giving back through a property business as well like i really like that it's not just about maximizing the revenue stream and getting the the best quality tenants providing that service where humanity needed it really yeah yes it's it's really interesting because we you know we had to be in the uk to get this off the ground so it's before we went around the world and you know we we tried different strategies but when we when we talked to councils we, we went out, we looked at where these councils were placing people currently, and they were smelly, horrible bed and breakfast. Um, families couldn't stay together. You know, they were in different rooms. There wasn't cooking facilities. It was just awful. So I thought, well, what, we can do better than that. So for us, it was, we had, we had this property, very large rooms. We, we did it up to a certain point, but not too nice. Um, if you, you know, the council don't want us to provide palaces for these people, but we do want it to be homely. So we've got rooms for families of up to six people, which is brilliant. You know, they can cook, they can stay together and it's near the centre of Southampton. So it's actually quite, quite convenient for them as well. Yeah, but these like commercial works. properties then that were kind of converted yes. into this purpose. Yeah. Yeah, so the first one was owned by a charity. So we bought it from the charity uh, that was, uh, they, they didn't have their, their license renewed or something. Um, but after that, when we, we found we were full all the time, within, within nine months, we were very clear that we needed to expand. Uh, we had more councils come and use us because once one council recommends us, then all the other councils go, great, you know, because they've always got a backlog. They've always got, space, you know, issues. Uh, they need to place people. So we then found a bed and breakfast. We did a purchase lease option on the owner of that. And then we've done a couple of others where we've got long leases with the owners. So the property, one of the properties was empty. So, you know, perfect strategy to actually give somebody an income, but actually not, you know, not to have to spend a huge amount buying these properties. So that gives us a good, a good return. Um, yeah. Not super. So, I was yeah, um... a great strategy. I was going to say to you, like, you know, there's a lot of people out there, you know, selling the dream, you know, you look like you're living the dream there. So how do you manage things then with your property business being on the other side of the world, you know, when you've got all these properties back in the, in England, yeah. how do you, how do you manage it all? Yeah, we were very clear right from the start because of our vision of what we wanted to be doing. We didn't want to create another job. So we didn't want to manage our properties day in, day out. And we've never managed any of them, not even the first one. So for us, it was how do we make sure that we've got really good people who can manage the properties on our behalf, but actually pay them quite well for it so that they, they do a good job. I don't use high street agents. Um, I tend to use other investors who have established themselves as um, managing their own portfolios and maybe one or two others. So it's not, um, you know, these are people I know and trust um, why why like, do you think why do you do that is it because they just know the business they know that that what you do better or they know the client they know the clients they know what the clients need they know they know tenants uh ace they know how to to put really good contracts together i think with hmos you've really got to know how to manage them properly because yeah. it, it's very very easy you upset one or two people and that's it you lose you lose the whole household so for me, it was HMOs, um, having somebody that really knows how to communicate with people regularly, to look after people and to make sure that we, we keep um, our occupancy levels high. 
it, it wasn't immediate, you know, I, I tried other people. Uh, it took a while to go, mm, that's not really working. Mm-hmm. And networking in this, in property investing is so, so important. And it was really through networking with people and, and you know, understanding and finding out what other people do and going along and seeing what they do. So that's generally how I've built relationships with people who then, I then can say to them, well, look, you know, do you think you could manage mine like this? You know, and they'll say, well, I could. Let's let me have a think about it. So those have those have come over time. Um, but yeah, before we went around the world, it was, are we confident that if we're not physically in the UK, that we can still have these conversations, we can use Zoom, we can um, still be able to to get that income coming in and you know it was a test I could have flown home anytime so John sailed around the world I actually followed him so a lot of that's in my book around that was a test really what was the what was the longest time you you were away you know for because you know a lot of people kind of might think oh that bit that sounds good but then it's quite a kind of mental thing yeah. where you're leaving everything you're like oh what if something an emergency yeah. happens do I need to be there yeah. so what, what was yeah. the longest time you were away? Well, in the end, it, it was 12 months mm. when John did the round the world. So, you know, I said, I didn't even tell my kids, <laughs> to be honest, that I was going to, wasn't coming back during that time. <laughs> Hence the quotes in the book. It's very funny because they just thought we were completely crazy. What age were your um, kids? So Robert was at university, was uh, in his second, final year. Laura was at college, so she was, she just finished college actually. So she didn't want to go to uni. She went to Madrid. So what we said to them before we left was what, you know, what are you going to do this year? We're going to have this fun, but I want you guys to also go and do something. We'll pay for it. (laughs) So Robert went, Robert traveled after his degree. He did Everest Base Camp raised money to put in a water pipe in Nepal with a friend so right. that was amazing so we met up what we said what to both of them was whatever you want to do within reason we'll support you but wherever you are in the world we'll meet up at Christmas in Sydney which is where the boats were going to be and that's what we did it was fantastic we had Christmas in Sydney in 2017 and uh, Laura flew from Tenerife and Robert was in Fiji so um, we all got together. So, yeah, to answer your question, 12, 12 months away, but not without communicating, of course. So we have we had at that point weekly meetings with our managers of our guest houses. We had uh, regular meetings with our agents. And I did one more deal that John didn't know about because he'd left earlier. I had a couple of months and I actually found another purchase lease option during that time. Uh, and he said to me, no more deals. You know, we haven't got time. But but uh, but I did that because it was just an opportunity I couldn't say no to. So I was still negotiating that during using Zoom and things. So it, it doesn't stop you. It's just time zones and technology. So, you know, I've got a MacBook Pro. I've got really good technology, good Wi-Fi here. So having, the right people, so having the right people on the grounds and then obviously yeah. the technology with the communication yeah. side of things is, is just really working for you then? Yeah, and, what, and what's the worst thing that can happen? I, I hop on a plane and, and I come home, it, you know, so it, it's always the way that we've thought. What's the worst thing that, we, that can happen? Well, I, I could go home. John could as well. He could have given up the race as half the people do uh, for, for different reasons. But I was pretty determined that he was going to circumnavigate because not many people do that in their lives. And I wanted him to look back and say, wow, he's achieved it. 
So uh, I was more determined than he was. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what did that look like after you kind of achieved that big that big why? Did you feel a bit flat? Like it was you've, you've mm. kind of conquered that mountain. What's what's next? Or that you've had obviously yeah, you've had a whole place in Zanzibar now. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a huge, huge thing to do. It was. We got a lot of. PR there was a lot of media attention especially when we got back um it was wow you know we were on the local radio and it was it was like what next and people asked us that well what are you going to do next you've done this and we're like oh hang on a minute I'm not sure <laughs> um for me while we were going around the world I did some volunteering so for, for me I'd done some sort of let's test out the waters I did I went to Namibia I did that volunteering but I did it I could only do it for two weeks because of the schedule um, so I said, and John wanted to do it. So we said, we'll do Namibia. We'll go there, but not just for two weeks. We'll do it for several months and we'll do it together. And we'll see if that's something that actually we, we'd like to spend more time doing in wildlife. And then it was, well, where else in the world do we want to go and spend time? So because John's um, clipper thing was just, you know, he, port to port, he'd only have maybe tops two weeks in any one place. So we, we sort of reflected on the places that we've been and said, well, where would we like to go back to? And for us, it was, it was Australia. It was northeast Australia, Queensland. Let's go space ourselves there and have a think. So we don't need to stay in the UK. Our house is rented. It was doing really well. We earned more from our house than the cost of our accommodation traveling. So we knew that if we go, go and stay in another country, um, and maybe we take some stock. And that's when I wrote my book. So we, we house sat in Queensland. We So for no cost, we actually sat in someone else's house, looked after it for them while they were away. And that's when I wrote my book. And we uh, decided then that, you know, we had some other ambitions. We were still growing our business, our portfolio, of course, still managing that. Um, but I was actually teaching other people to do property at that point. So for me, it was, I love this stuff. I love helping other people learn. I was coaching people as I was going around the world on Zoom. And Zoom was a new thing in those days. Uh, and I thought, I like this. And so I don't do it full time. I do it two days a week. And that was something that motivates me. And for John, it was, you know, where do we base ourselves across the world? What else could we do that's going to give back um, and support? So we spent time in Namibia last year, October 2021, lockdown, after lockdown one, we escaped to Namibia. And lockdown with the animals. Oh my goodness, you should see my pictures. Yeah. So there were no volunteers in Namibia, very, very few volunteers because of COVID. So whilst we got out to, to Namibia, very few tourists um, or young people could actually go out because lockdown two happened and then lockdown three. So we ended up spending six months volunteering for this organization in Namibia. And we did amazing things from ear notching rhinos <laughs> uh, out in the fields, you know, identifying rhinoceros and actually doing health checks on them. Um, leopards, lions, cheetah, um, amazing stuff we did with, with the vets because they didn't have any vet students. Mm. So we, yeah, we had the time by our lives. We even built houses there for the sand bushmen. Um, I'm talking about tin houses, but you know, we, we it was hard graft, but yeah. hugely rewarding. 
Uh, I could write another book about that. <laughs> Sorry, what was your book? Um, tell, tell the listeners about your book that you wrote when you were oh, yeah. travel. This is my book, Building Your Dream Life. Um, That's a good title for the podcast. We'll just steal that. It is, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Steal it with pleasure. Um, building Your Dream Life, because people said to me, you know, I was teaching people and showing them how, and I've got an online program. And everybody kept saying to me, you know, when you present, you're so enthusiastic, you know, you should write a book. And, and I'm like, when have I got time to write a book? Um, and I wasn't really that motivated. But when we went to Australia, that's when I thought, right, I'm going to get a book coach. Um, it's going to cost me some money, but I'm actually going to get this done because I'm going to be in one place for a change. And, you know, it's beautiful in Queensland. Um, you know, it was lovely weather. I could sit out, write my book, take my time over it. So that's what I did. Yeah. Um, and that tells, tells a story really from starting out with that, with that vision to actually going around the world. And it's got all my case studies, 15 case studies of um, things that worked, things didn't work, a lot of problems, how we overcame those problems. Um, so yeah, it's doing really well on Amazon actually. It's Amazon Audible as well. That's great. We'll put a link in the show notes for sure. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk to us quickly about, you know, like achieving kind of happiness through like property and that, you know, because obviously you described how, back when the corporate role and that, you know, you were, you know, unfulfilled, not enjoying it and all the rest of it. Can you just mm. describe the contrast between your life then and your mm. life now? And do you feel mm. happy and content? And, you know, do you feel like you still need to do more? Or can you just... Well, it's a great question because it comes in different stages. I think, first of all, it's that fear of leaving that corporate job, that structure and that pay packet every month. You know, that, that didn't take me too long to get over that. After the first couple of months, I'm like, okay, it's working. Um, but you need time in property. So, so leaving the day job is that first thing. And then it's actually working with your spouse. So for me, you know, John and I working together, we've never done that before. So from a life partner, husband, to actually a business partner, oh, that's tricky. <laughs> really difficult. Yeah. Um, you know, so learning about that, learning that we've got different wealth dynamics, that's in my book as well. We talk about how different people we, we are and how working together can actually work really well as long as you understand your differences. So that, that was a bit of, oh, is this going to work? <laughs> um, do we have a life outside our businesses? Because that's also really important because we found we were just work, 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 work. Mm. Oh, shit, I'm tired. You know, you know, do we have a life? So going on holiday, having a break, realizing that actually we, there's another reason why we're doing this. So it's those first few years of grind, grind, grinds, but also keeping that vision in your mind. And then the, hap the happiness comes from fulfilling those things that you always wanted to do, which is that the, the dreams and realizing that it's actually not that difficult. Um, a lot of the fear in life is those false expectations that appear real that you think, oh my goodness, but what if, what if, what if? So what I find now is that I inspire people because I'm going, well, actually, <laughs> this is how we overcame that problem. This is what we did about visas. This is what we did when we, you know, we found ourselves in Namibia and couldn't get home. We mm -hmm. shipped our car out. We're like, oh, hey, you can do that. We shipped our car out, put a tent on the top of it and went traveling. Um, and people go, oh, isn't that dangerous? So what you find is your comfort zone changes. So as you start to do stuff and you go, oh, okay, that, that was okay. That wasn't too difficult. Then you, you move on and you go, well, okay, I can take it to the next stage. Um, but, you know, there are times when we look at each other and go, oh, my goodness, you know, got a few problems. 
So let me tell you about one of the problems during COVID, because I think this is useful for listeners. You know, not everything goes according to plan, does it? So we built these houses. We did a development with a builder in Andover. Uh, he built eight houses at cost. We were doing it as a joint venture. Those houses are really high-end, four-bed properties. Um, we got the show home open and furnished, ready by March 2020. What happened in March 2020? Oh, dear. No one can come and view them. So no, the estate agents all sort of disappeared, stopped working. Um, resource was limited. People weren't, weren't viewing properties. So, you know, we, we had to pay additional amounts to our development finance for all the time until we'd sold the first five properties to pay off that loan. Um, and that was that amounted to nearly £300,000. So, so let me tell you about that one. Additional costs. Oof. This is just interest and, and fees, of course, because banks, we hate them, don't we? Mm. Um, banks can do that. And each quarter, they'd renew the, the facility. <laughs> and we may have sold one property or whatever, so reduced it gradually. But no, they chuck in another big fee and just think, crikey, you know, do you really need to do this? So, you know, so how did we overcome that? We had contingency, we're still, you know, we sold them all now. We paid all our investors back in a, a year ago now, um, which was great. So we had investor finance and we had the development finance. Um, so the investors did really well because they had additional interest during this period. Uh, we didn't make any money at all from that development. However, we are, you know, we've got phase two at some point, we all do. But we had contingency and that's the thing about property investing, especially if you're doing developments or flipping and things like that. You've got to have contingency for things that happen that you don't expect. So so there we go. So, yeah, that costs us a lot of money. And did we survive? Yes. <laughs> Thankfully, we survived. We're still dealing with the snagging issues in the properties. But, you know, they are lovely properties and we've and we've done it. But these things do happen. Um, so, yeah. And these private investors, were these people in your in your network that you that you raised the funding from, or did you go externally? Yeah, these are people that have been investing with us. Some some have been investing with us in previous years, mm. so um, they were quite happy to to lend to us for a development type of investment. Others are new investors that came to us that that said, "Well, we'd be happy to lend you money." We went out with an investor pack to a few people. And then if they knew other people, they would they would come and lend. So, you know, you've got to be very careful with investors. You know, it's it's got to be the right sort of project for them. But some of these investors, yeah, had developed, done some stuff with us in development before, uh, conversions, that sort of thing. So they they knew us well. It's very um, interesting because you, you, you kind of said that the, the, the full risk is with you as a developer. The banks still get their blood, sweat, yeah. and tears. The investor still gets their, their interest and even more interest if you take longer. So yeah. everyone wins except from, from you. And I suppose yeah. the risk and reward thing for developments is, is a lot greater mm -hmm. than HMOs or, or buy for like single buy lets. Yes. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very careful now and I'm advising people in terms of funding because good good investors personal investors can be very very flexible so um but you've got to make sure that it suits them and that they're not necessarily going to want their money back quickly we had one of our investors need their money back for a car purchase I think it was but we said if you give us a few months notice we'll replace your investment with another person and you know we've, we've always been able to do that um 
but yeah, you've also got to make sure that if it's a complex thing, if it's a joint venture, you know, you need to have sophisticated investors. So there's lots of rules and regulations when you're working with private individuals. And then there's things like crowdfunding. So I would certainly try and avoid the banks now for development. I would prefer to use crowd property or similar type of crowdfunding because these are property people who, who I know understand investing, who would be much more flexible when something like COVID hits. Um, I, I'm not saying, you know, they wouldn't charge us, but, you know, we would, um, I would feel much more comfortable having conversations with them than a faceless bank that just yeah. lent on a development basis. Yeah. yeah. And, and slap you with ridiculous fees that you've, you've got no way of, of turning down and getting out of. Yes. Well, having been a banker, I suppose I understand it from their point of view, but even now we're, we're refinancing some of our guest houses and it's taking forever because because bankers don't always understand this business. They don't understand, you know, the way that we do what we do. You know, they have their very set rules and regulations. Um, so I have to sometimes pull rank and say, look, you know, I understand how banks work. You know, stop bobbing me off. Um, and they just, you know, they've got to have this EBITDA and everything. So you have to play the game, but you also yeah. have to understand on the inside that, look just you know let's be sensible common sense um so yeah it can be can be quite hard and you know, that's probably most of our life now is around yeah. the refinancing stuff and uh the business side of it that is a bit frustrating before before we can finish up um you can you tell us a little bit what you've been combining your travels with your actual property business because i'm in zanzibar mm. at the moment you're doing a development out there yeah Yes, yes, we are. So as we were traveling the world, we were always sort of eyes out, just as you, you are as an investor, you go, oh, what's property look like here? What's the economy doing? Um, you know, we, we, we don't, you know, quite like Hampshire, but we don't want to spend the winter months necessarily there. So we were always thinking, well, where would we like to live in the future? And so, yeah, we've traveled around and especially in Africa, when we were in Namibia, we looked at the coastal area there and as we were traveling through Botswana and Zambia and Tanzania and we ended up in Zanzibar because of the temperature of the weather it's it's beautiful it's always warm and we just fell in love with it basically we we had a lot of work to do we stayed in one place for a couple of months and we just thought this is lovely we just love it so we did our due diligence as you do and checked out what we could and couldn't do found people who are building properties who are Europeans We've been building out here to European standards and we're doing a joint venture with them. So we're, we're actually buying, we've bought some land, they're going to be doing the bills, someone else is doing the selling. So we're, we're actually creating nine apartments out here. Sea View on the East Coast, absolutely glorious place. And we're hoping to sell them in advance, so um, in advance of building. Is your target so market is... possibly British um yeah, expats, holiday homes. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really taking off here in Zambia, It's uh, in uh, Zanzibar. It's um, quite late to the holiday market, but it's quite upmarket for, for honeymooners and that sort of thing. So if somebody can buy maybe an apartment that's just that little bit cheaper than the massive houses that you get here, um, and the economy's good, the um, government are paying now investors, uh, allowing them to invest here, but also giving them the right to, to stay in terms of visas so we've got a work permits and we can get residential uh, visa in the future and that's a massive thing because when we were looking elsewhere 
as a you know as somebody as a, as a British person can you actually live there more than three months as a tourist you know the answers it varies hugely um so yeah so out here they're making it easier now how do you get out there is it two flights or do you get a, can you get a direct from London currently currently it's two yeah currently it's by uh, Ethiopia or Dubai Dubai do direct flights here and during before covid london they were going to do london direct flights to zanzibar but it, it's taking off honestly it's just going to become quite built up over time but yeah. at the moment it's unspoiled it's, well, it's just beautiful let's hope you're getting in at a good point then and we look forward to following yeah. that as well that's it watching that's me on the interesting. On social media so yeah. so listen we really appreciate your time it's been great uh, it's been a great insight i actually kind of see quite a lot of similarities uh, to myself because I'm really really mm. keen on traveling like I used to do a lot of traveling yeah. back before I had kids and then yes. obviously now it's kind of like not stopped but you change the places yeah. that you go to to kind of accommodate yes. the kids and then of it course. sounds like you've kind of taken off again after the kids kind of got to university and then you're going back to all the exciting places again you know <laughs> yeah that's right you know and I think having the choice that's what it's about that's what property investing is about you know you can you earn your money whether you're in the UK or not um yeah. and yeah freedom also depends on your family circumstances but just knowing that it's possible and you know even being inspired to do something a little bit different that's that's what I love to do so if you want to learn a bit more connect with me if you want to have a chat with me connect with me uh read my book yeah excellent uh, Roman. We'll, we'll put all these uh, links in the show notes yeah. we'll put links to your social media and uh, to your book as well again really, thanks very much for joining us we really appreciate your time pleasure it's really good thank you very much for for inviting me thanks bronwyn all the best okay take care cheers Guys, hope you enjoyed that interview. Thanks very much to Bronwyn for sharing that. Uh, and also interesting at the end how she shared uh, a few bumps along the way. It's not all rosy, the la uh, laptop lifestyle, uh, you know, living on a beach and all that. There is some difficulties and challenges in there along the way. So, Stephen, 2nd of February, what is happening? Well, we are back with the Scottish Property Podcast live networking events. <laughs> Throughout the whole of Scotland, we've got Glasgow, which always sells out within a day as soon as you put the tickets up. I don't know how Nick Ponty does it. I think he's become a celebrity in Glasgow. Um, Edinburgh event hosted by Gary Wills and Linda Martin, which we attended last month. We've got Aberdeen um, with myself and the girls from the Property Duo. And we've got Dundee with Curtis Leamy and Paul Cummins. So we've got a great lineup of hosts and guest speakers. Um, so if you're interested in coming along in person, chatting to us, the other hosts or the guest speakers, or just learning and networking with like-minded people, then check out the, the events on Eventbrite and you can book your tickets on there. Fantastic. Well said. And see you again next week, guys. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening.